I'm Katie Brain and you're listening to Goodness Gracious Grief. When I lost my dad to myeloma in 2015, my life changed. I certainly grew up and my view on life and what mattered also changed. Grief made me worry more. It made me realise how short life can be. And it also made me panic about the what ifs. But the good thing about grief did bring me here and it made me realise I want to help others. And there are so many other people who have managed to turn their grief into helping others too. I already spoke to Linda Magistris in episode one about why she set up the Good Grief Trust. And I'm about to introduce you to two more people who are an inspiration in the work that they do to help others. Sometimes we get no warning about death and someone can die tragically. But what if someone you love is murdered? That can leave a whole bundle of different emotions, especially if that person is murdered by someone you know. You may well already know my next guests. Their story was covered heavily by national news at the time. But I've had the privilege to meet these two men and they are truly two of the most inspirational people I know and it's incredible how they have turned their life around. They have climbed their way out of one of the deepest, darkest holes and are helping so many other people alongside their own grief. I will let Luke and Ryan Hart tell you how they were hit with grief on Tuesday the 19th of July 2016. A few days earlier, we'd just returned back to work. Um, five days beforehand, we'd broken Mum and Charlotte out of the family home and moved into a, a small rental house down the road. Um, I was back at work in Holland. Luke was in Aberdeen. Um, I checked my phone about 11 o'clock in the morning just to look at the news, um, and I saw that there was a breaking news article um, about three people dead in a shooting in Spalding. And I think at that point, um, I, I didn't believe that Mum and Charlotte were in any danger after having left our father. Um, I thought it was you know, a big misunderstanding. Um, I called Luke, we called the local police station. And then over, I guess, the next few hours, um, the news slowly unraveled that it was Mum and Charlotte who had been killed by our father. There is obviously a, a bigger story behind this and you spent years living with the domestic abuse from your father. I don't really want to go into that in detail, but for you to finally escape him, that was a big relief. Yeah, it felt like, well, we thought at last we'd got freedom. So we felt like it was all finished. We felt that that was the end of it. And our parents would get a divorce and mum would be able to go and live her life freely. And our father would be able to live his without being perpetually angry at us and controlling us um so we thought that that was a positive event but actually we didn't realize that most um women and children who are killed um by abusers are killed after they've left so actually leaving is the most dangerous time and we didn't realize that when we were leaving before this day had you ever experienced any form of grief before I think the hardest um, time I've, I've grieved was actually 18 days earlier, which was when our family dog Max passed away. Um, I guess growing up with a controlling, abusive father, we never really got close to anyone. 
our extended family were pushed away. Our grandparents didn't really see that often. Didn't have many friends. Um, so when people around us that we, we knew passed away, we, we didn't actually know them, know them. And I guess it, grief is much harder when you've, you've built a really strong bond with somebody. And I think Max, our dog of 15 years, was the closest um, person like being to, to us. Um, mm-hmm. And when Max passed away, um, it turns out later, now, now we can look back and look at the evidence, it turns out that Max was murdered by our father. But at the time, we, we believed he passed away in, in his sleep. So, so I went through the normal grieving um, process with mum. And that was incredibly difficult because, yeah, Max was like our rock, really. Max was what kind of grew us all together. Um, and that, that was a day that I hadn't been looking forward to. I, I knew Max was getting old and I thought he might pass, um, you know, in, in that sort of time of my life. Um, but I didn't think I could take it when the day came. Um, but I, I, having mum and Charlotte around made it much easier. Um, but yeah, that was, that was only three weeks before mum and Charlotte were both killed. So that all really compounded. Um, to make you know three years ago a very very difficult time for us both. I completely understand how we can become so attached to to animals especially dogs. Um, I got my dog uh, well after my dad died because you know I, I wanted someone to look after and he got me out of bed in the morning and I am so attached to my dog right now and we've got a family dog as well which we've had uh, for 15 years um so I know she's coming to the end of the life and, and even the thought of that kind of makes me slightly heartbroken so anyone grieving a pet I think is I completely kind of understand them um even if some people say you know that they're not human when you've got that bond with someone you, you can't break it can you yeah yeah I mean like Max was my my best friend like out of all humans and, and animals Max was Max was the one and I think also for mum as well like given the fact we weren't able to socialize that much out, out of the house we, we grew such a strong bond with Max and so yeah it was um I think we all were dreading the day that he passed away um, and sadly knowing that he was actually murdered, knowing that he, you know, he was actually healthy enough to still be living now. That made it very difficult um, once we found that out. So going back to the day, what feelings go through your head when you find out someone that you love has had their life taken from them so cruelly? Obviously, there are tragic accidents and people lose people that way, but your mum and your sister Charlotte, their lives were just taken from them. What what even goes through your head at that time? Mainly, I suppose, well, I guess I'm I'm a bit, I've always been a bit stoical anyway, I suppose, because growing up how we did, you sort of learn to defend yourself against things by mm-hmm. sort of shutting stuff off as much as possible. So I've always been like very, um, yeah unmoved by things but after that I was incredibly I suppose the main thing was anger but it wasn't just our father it was actually just kind of in every possible direction because I think we realized that we'd been struggling to escape by ourselves um, and we didn't realize quite how how much it was an escape and I think we felt very very alone not just in the fact that mum and Charlotte's lives had been obviously cruelly cut short and taken from them but the fact that it felt as if we were alone like our whole lives we've been alone it felt as if I was kind of in that moment grieving everything that had come before because our entire life was actually 
we realized very quickly that our, our life wasn't really a life anyway because mm. of the abuse that we've been suffering. So I think it was a grieving the murders, grieving our own lives, of childhoods, like everything, all in one. Um, and it was a huge amount of anger that what happened to us can even happen to anyone. Like, how can that even be possible? And, and the fact that um, when we saw the media reporting that this sort of stuff was justified and rationalised and our father's behaviours were condoned, basically, it made, it made that rage kind of literally uh, every aspect of society. And it took a very, very long time for me to stop feeling utterly contemptuous towards everyone, quite frankly, because it felt as if no one cared. And we found out that what happened to our family happens like every week in the UK. And I think when I realised that mountain of grief that so many people have to go through and so little is done about, I think the, the yeah, it was, it was a level of anger that I think I've never felt before. You talk about grieving your, your whole life that you previously had, but were you also grieving for three people were you grieving for your mum for Charlotte and your dad oh no no wait so we our father was a horrible man um we didn't know it was abuse but he made our lives so so unbelievably difficult growing up um and we I mean when we were growing up there was a lot of cancer there was a lot of illness there was a lot of grandparents dying and extended family so we were kind of used to bad news we were used to like all this kind of stuff but actually we hoped our father would die because it made our, he made our lives so, so difficult when we were growing up. Every time he had a cancer or, or something, we were like, come on, please die. <laughs> like, why would not you leave us alone and let us live? So actually, we wanted our father to die for much of our, our youth. Um, because that was the only way we could see our lives getting better. We had to get away from him. And as children, we, we lived for the future because we knew the only way we could get away was to get enough money to leave. And mum was ill. She had multiple sclerosis and couldn't work more than a few days a week. Um, and our father was obviously economically abusing us all. So we had to basically forgo our childhood and, and live for some point in the future. And, the, and we did that. And when we got to that point in the future, our father just killed mum and Charlotte, which meant that everything we'd lived for, that childhood we'd given up to create that future was invalidated. It was destroyed. And, our father was always an adversary. He was never someone that we felt close to. We didn't even feel, I mean, I didn't even feel the sort of fondness I have for a stranger. It was all negative, I think. Um, but we didn't know it was, it was significantly abuse. So for me, I was, it was, for our father, it was genuine, almost joy that he was mm. dead. But um, it, was, it wasn't grief at all. I don't yeah. think I felt any grief. I think for me, um, the one thing I did feel was, as Luke mentioned, like extreme anger towards him, um, mainly because like for my entire life, I've had that hatred towards him. I've wanted to do something to stop him from abusing Mum and Charlotte, our dog. Uh, I wanted to get revenge, I think, for all the devastation he caused. And then when he killed Mum and Charlotte and killed himself and left some self-righteous uh, murder note, um, and I just I can imagine like the smug look on his face and all the anger I had stored up for all those years, I felt like I couldn't, you know, uh, lash out at him physically because he'd never physically assaulted us um, I was waiting for that moment that I could get revenge and then when he killed himself afterwards all that stored up anger was really hard to deal with because um, I mean as Luke said yeah we felt angry at the world but I didn't want to hurt anyone I just wanted to hurt him and so all that anger was really difficult to direct and I think for the first few months that was a challenge of mine was to 
how do I overcome this regret not being able to deal with my anger when he was alive? And um, I think, to be honest, sport helped me mostly to get through that anger, um, especially the gym, just like days when I just wanted to really just, I don't know, scream and hit something. Just going to the gym was, was a fantastic relief. Um, but yeah, same, same with Luke. I never felt any love or any um, grief towards my father, just anger that he wasn't there to, for me to kind of, you know, get revenge. You mentioned there that sport has helped you slightly, but you were both so young. Um, you're still very young when, when this happened. Um, how did you even, you know, take that first step forward of, you know, we're going to move on from this? And, and what support did you have? So for me, I've always, mum always said when we were growing up, like education is how you create a future. It's how you get free and it's how you give yourself choices. Um, and that was how we planned to get away from our father. And I think... I've always been very compartmentalised and very intellectual at the expense of being emotional. And I think for me, I just started ploughing into books because um, to understand the world, often the best insights are hidden away in books, not the people around you. And I found that um, by reading a lot of like feminism, philosophy, psychology, criminology, everything I possibly could, I found our lives were, I could understand our lives, what had happened to us, why we reacted the way we had growing up how we were responding then and how everything it just felt like it felt like we were more normal in a weird way having um been able to understand what happened to us and I think for me reading was hugely important because it I get in a way I suppose it helped me compartmentalize it again but it also helped me to articulate it and for me I think when I can articulate things I feel I'm getting them out and I think the ability to use words to express myself is something that I've always found incredibly, incredibly healing and powerful. So words have always been my way, I suppose, of, of helping to slowly vent all of that um, rage and grief and stuff like that. So, so writing and reading have been, and the dogs as well, massively. But I guess the first thing that we did was pretty much just take the dogs for walks and read um, on my behalf. So that made a huge difference for me. Yeah, I guess for me, as Luke said, just taking the dogs for walks. Um, the first, maybe the first like eight months, we just um, took each day that came, took the dogs for a walk, went to the gym if we could, went shopping, cut the grass, just trying to kind of pass each day. Um, I think I was hoping that time would help me get over um, losing mum and Charlotte, but it didn't really. I think what helped was when we started to understand more about our lives, what we've been through, as Luke said, learning about domestic abuse in general. Um, and I think realising that we're not alone, that was frustrating in a way, as, as Luke mentioned earlier, about how it, when you recognise the issue is so massive, um, you have such a, a desire to kind of help tackle it, um, but you feel quite powerless. But in the same way, you, you recognise that you're not to blame, really, for what happened. Like, it, it's part of a, a bigger bigger picture um and our father wasn't singling out us it was more about him and what he was you know about and what he wanted to do um and then learning i guess about what we've been through helps us find a new purpose and i think starting to write our, our book starting to speak out about um the abuse that we suffered about mum and charlotte's lives that helped give us something in the future to to work towards because our future before had been working towards giving mum and charlotte freedom so when that was taken from us, um, knowing what our lives were for was 
like quite a difficult question. So it was it was spent really most of that first couple of years trying to find a new reason to to wake up each morning. And I think using our story to help others and to tackle domestic abuse, I think that's a purpose that we both found. Obviously, your life's just got turned upside down, and they were inevitably gonna gonna change. But do you find that that grief kind of changed you? as as individuals uh, have you seen any changes in the way you act or the way that you behave now so i think um there's a lot of things in life that you don't sort of get over but you sort of move forward with and i think grief and abuse and all that kind of stuff you don't just get over them and forget about them or forgive them or whatever you you change but often it's sort of a painful growing exercise but you become i suppose you become more calibrated to the world as it is because actually grief and abuse and all the horrible stuff that I guess we've been through quite intensely is actually quite well spread and covered across the world consistently it's sort of part of life um so I think we've we've grown very quickly and and as kids growing up with abuse I think we had to become adults very quickly Um, and I suppose being young men having gone what we've gone through we've had to become even more mature and I think it gives you I suppose it's made me more candid like I just I tell things how they are because I realize that life's not about facades and superficiality it's about trying to do something with your life um, and the only way you can make change is if you're honest and if you tell the truth and if you are genuinely committed to something bigger than yourself so I think for me it's it's I've always been I suppose a bit too <laughs> I, I'm always like or just old manish, I suppose. But um, but I suppose it's made me. It makes you think of what your life is for. You know, you're almost reflecting back on your life, even when you're young, thinking, "What have I achieved? What I'm actually here for?" Like you don't care about a job, or you don't care about that house in the suburbs, whatever. You, and none of it's important, and you know it's not. And you you think, "Well, actually, what am I here for?" Um, and I think it makes you ask those questions, which are actually really important for living a good life. And I think a lot of people never ask those questions. Um, until it's too late or or maybe they never do at all so we've been forced to ask those questions but I think in doing so we've learned a lot about ourselves which I think has made us a lot stronger as well. You you can tell just you know from talking to you for a few minutes how strong you are but how have you been able to to stay healthy and and stay positive even kind of when battling against the impossible? I've gone through various stages of what what works Um, so obviously the first few weeks and months after the murders um just playing with our dogs and just i guess surrounding ourselves with people and and, our, and animals who made us happy just to get through each day was what was necessary um but then once i think i'd managed to heal enough what's helped me most has been um one has been having something to work towards um initially that was writing the book um and now it's i guess growing our you know um speaking business where we're kind of sharing our story where we're helping um working with charities we're helping to inspire others um that that's i guess one aspect of like growing something for the future that i'm proud of and then the second part is um doing things which i've always wanted to do which as a child um i wasn't allowed to so sports and and hobbies really um which i could never do growing up so i learned to play the piano learned to skydive um i'm swimming and cycling as much as i can 
and just kind of living that life, which, as Luke said, you're forced to ask, you know, what do you want to do? And I think for me, what I like doing is, is finding out the answer to that question and just trying, trying new things um, and seeing what I want to do and become, um, I guess, with my life. So it's a lot of experimentation um, and not being afraid to experiment, which I think is, is helping me move forward. And I think for me, it's been like growing up, there was a lot of things that I felt were wrong, but didn't feel I could articulate well enough or wasn't confident enough to call out or just at home, but in life in general. And sort of, I guess I adjusted and adapted rather than challenged things because I found that it was often easier just to do what everyone else was doing or to look normal rather than challenge what was apparently normal. Um, and I think for me, what's really helped me is to actually start to trust myself and my instincts because I think I've sort of proven to myself that I'm a good person and I don't have to be ashamed of any of my instincts or anything like that and actually I think for me what's really important is to believe in what I believe in and actually speak about it and and have conviction about it because I felt that being normal and fitting in was keeping us safe but it wasn't um, and I think what's really important for me now is to try and make the world safer however small that is and however I can contribute but I would like in some way to be able to help other people who don't believe in themselves enough to call things out or aren't confident enough and I think believing in myself and my sort of moral conviction is giving me I guess it's helping to connect myself again and those voices and all those different parts of me rather than being afraid of them I'm slowly kind of integrating it all again which I think feels really important. I've met you both and I can definitely confirm you are both good people <laughs> for sure. Um, you, you mentioned your book and I will give out the details for that but what other work have you had the opportunity to do kind of you know now and going forward what what have you got lined up to kind of share your story and and help others? So we um, spend much of our time now traveling um, around the country we've even been internationally a few times we speak at conferences and training events um, we've worked with various police forces. Um, we've worked with organisations to help um, bring in guidelines for media and reporting domestic homicides. And we're kind of trying to tackle domestic abuse on you know various different fronts. So one of them is in you know helping professionals be able to recognise the signs and symptoms. Another one is you know general public, um, and another one's like the media. So we're trying to just use our experience, our lived experience, um, in as many ways as possible. Um, yeah, as you've mentioned, so we've written our, our book, which talks about our lives and, and hopefully is quite a um, accessible way for people to learn about domestic abuse and to, to learn about what to look out for and what help there is available. Um, and I think for the first time as well in our lives, we're quite excited about the uncertainty of what, of what the future holds. Um, I think growing up, we always you know, had to live within so many constrictive rules that certainty was what we were after. Whereas now I think we're excited about um, new things and new adventures that we don't know exactly what the future holds for us. Um, but we're, you know, willing to, you know, take every avenue which opens up to us. And I think that's quite exciting. Um, that we're, we don't really know where we're going, but we know that what we're going to do is, is going to be helpful to someone. These two men have sheer courage and the work they've gone on to achieve since their mother and sister were brutally murdered at the hands of their father is incredible. 
Luke and Ryan refuse to let anything that has happened to them define them. Their book, Remembered Forever, is out now and tells their story of how they lived under the terror of coercive control before being faced with domestic homicide. As two young men who have lost the greatest part of their lives, they've committed themselves to raising awareness and speaking out against male violence towards women and children. To find out more about the work they do or for more information on their book, Remembered Forever, visit www.cocoawareness.co.uk. I'm Katie Brain and you've been listening to Goodness Gracious Grief.